1: Business leaders are continually looking for methods to reach their strategic goals and to solve their people, supplier, and customer issues. They typically have not found viable answers in business books or seminars. My guest, Rocket Tom Terramina, was a member of the Project Apollo team that sent men to the moon and returned them home safely. He was on duty during Apollo 13, the disastrous explosion in space. He has spent the last 40 years working with more than 700 companies, documenting his experiences in 12 books, Two of my favorites, it was rocket science and the other, foreseeable risk, which details how achieving your goals is no more a formidable challenge than winning the space race and how repairing a spacecraft 200,000 miles in space created a model for solving your most challenging business problems. Tom, welcome to the show.
2: Well, I'm delighted (laughs) to be back with you, Sherry.
1: Always good to see you. And, you know, I know you work with hundreds of organizations, but one of the tools you implement and, of course, have validated for over a decade is what you call 7-Alpha the foundation of the Apollo business model, which we're going to talk about later in the show. So let's talk about 7-alpha and what is it, what does it mean, and how do I, as a business owner, start to think like a rocket
2: scientist? Well, we can talk about all of those things. (laughs) Thanks for the intro. Uh, 7-alpha is a result of many years of working with, as you said, 700 companies and trying to decide what the steps were to going from a problem to a successful successful outcome or from going to – from a strategic plan to a robust business. And it kept boiling down to, to the seven issues that I, I call the 7-alpha program. Uh, so – if you like, we'll go through them one at a time. Yeah,
1: no, I would because I want to. I want our listeners to understand them. And of course, you know, everything we talk about isn't because every business has a problem. It's these are also proactive. If yeah. you if you think in that regard, yeah.
2: absolutely, they they work equally well for business uh, growth and success as they do for problem solving. All right. And by the way, I've yet to find a pr- business that doesn't have a problem. Well,
1: that's true. That's because you didn't work with them yet. That's why. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So what's number one?
2: Number one is called ask. Ask what the problem is uh, or ask what you're, you're planning on achieving. The ask part of it is usually done pretty lightly and pretty uh uh, philosophically, rather than saying, okay, here's, here is problem X. Uh, this microphone doesn't work. So what is the what are we, what are we asking? Well, we're going to use the 5Y methodology, which is called root cause analysis. You ask why five times. Uh, did the microphone break? Is it not hooked up? Is it not connected to the console? Am I not speaking? By the time you get to the fifth y you have gotten to the root of the problem. So before I work with any company, uh, I not only ask them straight out, "What do you think we're here for?" or "What are you hoping to accomplish, Mr. Business Person?" But let's let's ask that question five times until we really get down to what it is we, what that needs to be done.
1: The more I understand questions, a lot of people ask the wrong questions. Part of the asking, as I can see now, asking five why questions is because maybe question one and two weren't the right questions.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> and and in your in your wealth protection business, you must run into this every day. I mean, people just don't understand what it is that the root cause is. It's getting you an uncomfortable feeling of lack of success or somebody's knocking on your door trying to close your business. So... Ask, ask, and, and keep asking until you've gotten down to it, either what is the root cause of the problem that you're you're trying to solve, or ask what is what is it really, really, really I'm trying to do. And if it's to sell your business, say it right out. If you if you want to get out of this, I've met a few people recently that by the end of the, the end of the ask scenario, they really wanted to get out of the business, and there's nothing wrong with that. There is a path to successfully getting rid of your business.
1: Yes. Well, also, just back to the why question, though, it's important who's also asking the questions, right? Because it's not just, um, you're chatting with the owner of the business, or the president, or the management team, a lot of the people that have the answers are throughout the organization.
2: Absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has to start at the top, of course, Uh, that's, that's where it all starts. But I always, always, always try to interview people down to the to the production level, to the maintenance level, because typically they have a better grasp on what's going on than the owner does, and typically the owner doesn't know what they're doing. So it's, it's, it's a comedy of errors. Yeah,
1: I bet. All right, so number two is assess.
2: Okay, the word assess means let's sit down before we start – and assess the pros and cons of what's going on, assess the value. Let's come up with a set of metrics of where you are today and where you wanna be. By metrics, I don't mean profit. Profit can be manipulated. But is it defects per unit? Is it uh, customer satisfaction ratio? Is, Is there some set of assessments that we can do today? and agree upon today that we can measure over the course of whatever it is we're trying to do, be it a problem-solving event, be it a strategic plan that's going to take us three years. Uh, I did consulting for Dell Computer for three years, and there was a firm set of metrics scheduling, uh, and I was continually being evaluated based on that schedule and, and on those metrics. And that's fair. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed... Not miring around in some well, Tom's doing a good job, we sure like him uh, let's take Tom out to dinner that's that's not assessing uh, either the problem or assessing the solution so before I start a project, uh, we have to agree on the metrics. What is the state today? What do you want it to be at the end of this assignment and I do something that my wife thinks I'm crazy for, and that's i a reach a warranty agreement with the business owner that if they do what they commit and those metrics happen or don't happen, I will continue to work with them until they do happen, which is one reason why I don't use profit as a metric. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I like that. You hold yourself accountable, but you guarantee your work. That makes total sense.
2: Not in the consulting community.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, apparently not. But uh, all right. So once we have assessed and figured out the here we are, here's where we want to get to, and what does that look like in between, then you say the next step is to
2: analyze. Put on my white coat that, that I have, that Rocket Tom has. I have a white lab coat. And Go into the organization, uh, again, if it's a very limited scope assignment, uh, it's that one piece of the the business. If it's a systemic business issue we're looking at, then we look in every nook and cranny of the company. We compare uh, what is going on in each workstation or each uh, part of the business compared to what is documented or not documented, compared to what people think should be happening, compared to what the outcome actually is and do this assessment continually throughout the project to see if on day seven the process is working better than it was on day one. So the analyzation of our success or lack of success because mid-course corrections are okay nothing wrong with doing a mid-course correction uh, but we have to look at it continually and we have to Some things need a microscope. Some things just need a better definition of what they really are, what the expectations are.
1: We're talking about 7-alpha, and so we are now at number four, act.
2: Act. One of the most difficult things to do is number four is act because typically uh, people want to act first. I've got a great idea. I'm going to build a brand-new widget, and, man, let's get this business rolling. And they just really don't. They don't have the fundamentals established to know if they're getting where they're going. They don't have a map, typically. Even even my work with entrepreneurs where they're, they're almost forced to come up with a business plan and a budget and a, a cash flow analysis. The ones I've talked to said, once I get my money, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So acting is not the thing you do first. It's the thing you do fourth. Because without asking what is it we're going to do, assessing the way things are today, whether it's a brand new company or a a long existing family company, analyzing what's going on and coming up with a preliminary approach, there's nothing to act on. You can act on, on, on fantasy. You can act on whim. And you're going to get the results that you plan for, which is right. not, not planning.
1: Well, and also in, in ACT, sometimes that's going to cost money. There's investment at this point in time. And a lot of times this is where people get hung up. Conversation about 7-Alpha with Rocket, Tom Teramina. Stick with us because you're going to want to hear about 5, 6, and 7. <laughs> This is Dr. Cheryl Adlington, optometrist at Adlington Eye Center. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she uplifts everyone around her. Sage advice and foresight is what you get when you listen to The Sherry Hill Show.
3: Before you know it, the hot days will be here again with temperatures scorching into the 90s and even the 100s. SunTech solar screens block 80 to 90 percent of the sun's heat and glare, and Suntech Solar Screening protects furnishings and flooring. Call Suntech Solar Screening 775 352 9396. Suntech Solar Screening 775 352 9396.
0: like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com.
2: This is David Cole, author of Go From Zero to Hero on LinkedIn. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because her focus is educating business owners how to take it to the next level. Sage advice and guidance is what you get when you listen to The Sherry Hill Show.
1: Rocket Tom Terramina was a member of NASA's mission control team when they achieved the impossible undertaking of landing men on the moon. Since then, four decades and 12 books later, he has worked with more than 700 companies proving that the business model of Project Apollo is the only viable approach to solving impossible business problems today and in the future. With his unique perspective, he brings a rare talent for precision problem diagnosis, strategic thinking, and outstanding written and verbal communication skills to any organization. So I've been talking to Tom about the basis for the Apollo business model, which is the 7-alpha, and we've already gone through four, ask, assess, analyze and act and we want to make sure we hit number five which is after acting now you need to do number five which is assure
2: and that's the process we started with of understanding where we are today and where we want to be putting metrics in place measures every everything we do is a process everything has a start everything has an ending and everything can be measured so getting uh, business leaders to, to think about process and to think about measuring each and every process uh, is is a very difficult task. So assuring is the act of following up on each of these me- metrics that we put in place. If you're a manufacturing company and a product moves from work center to work center to work center, uh, where we're adding components or building building it bigger, it has to be absolute that the metrics we see will assure that before it's handed to the next person, it's 100% correct. And I mean 100% correct. Uh, I continually am, am kicked around by my colleagues who believe that Six Sigma is the, is the achievement that most companies can, can reach, which is not 100%. It's less than 100%. But I've seen it done. I've helped people do it. And I firmly believe that you can 100% move product from one workstation to the next to the next with no defects and actually get it to the customer with no defects.
1: How nice. How what nice. a concept. What is it? <laughs> All right. So once we understand the, you know, what are those key metrics? And, and like you said, this is the accountability factor, right? Right. So the next uh, seven alpha is number six, which is achieve.
2: Okay. Well, typically in in business, the the people who own it, the stockholders are the ones who achieve success, quote unquote. If on the other hand, that everyone that's involved in the process, everyone that's involved in the product of the service, shares that achievement, there's so much better result that can be measured. There's There's an outcome that gives ownership, gives pride, and it gives this rare commodity of personal accountability. And that is my biggest problem these days, and I'm not going to become generational, but personal accountability is not in vogue anymore. And once again, in these organizations that I work with, that take this all seriously, that take this to heart and say, this is the way we're going to do business, not only are the people rewarded for above and beyond, they are understand and agree to be penalized for a workmanship level that's less than they have agreed to very difficult. It's uh, in companies where I've done this, it's very painful to say we're taking away part of your profit sharing or because a product reached a customer and it was defective. But the alternative is that you get in a lawsuit over it. So we can fix it at the front end. People can become more accountable for their work. They can celebrate the achievement. Everybody celebrates together. And the lawyers don't have to get involved. And well, you...
1: I like that, <laughs> 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 right? Yes. Uh, number seven, we've got to go through, which is now audit.
2: Okay, so we've reached, we've reached our goals for the let's say for this quarter. The next thing to do is never stop doing number one through six, and that is a, a continuous audit process. I don't like the word audit. I it's I would rather use assessment. Because there has to be an, an ind- independent group of people within the company, not quality auditors, but people that work in different departments that continually and periodically assess the processes. Look at the written procedure. It says you should do step X, Y, Z. Show me how you do step X, Y, Z. Please uh, uh, give me a you – know, walk. just walk me through it. It doesn't have to be exactly what the words are in, in the instructions, but tell me what it is you do. And that's the basis for ongoing improvement. You take that data, you say, the next thing you ask is, how can we improve upon that? And then you go right back to number one, and you ask all over again.
1: Start over. Start the process. So as we mentioned, 7-alpha is really the, the foundation piece which is part of the Apollo business model, which you're very passionate about. But let, let's start with your explanation of why the Apollo business model is a culture. It's not a methodology, and it's certainly not a management fad.
2: Well, I can only tell that story by telling my own story. When I was in high school, I heard President Kennedy say, we're going to the moon by the end of the decade. Uh, And my 19th birthday, I packed up everything I owned in my little car, and I drove to Houston all by myself. I enrolled in the University of Houston. I had a full-time job. And I annoyed enough people at mission control until I finally got a job as an electronics technician. So the number one answer to your question is the fact that I was passionate about being part of that program. President Kennedy was talking to me uh we We made slave wages in those days, uh, even though I worked my way up to quality control engineer uh, but they don't they don 't know and never will that we would have done it for free. Most of us would have worked for nothing figuratively just to be able to be part of getting men to the moon and My role as an observer became uh very, very clear to me when I got my promotion to quality control engineer because I watched everything around us. How did we put together thousands and thousands of people around the globe working for the government, working for all the different contractors, and make all of this stuff happen? I still want to meet the guy that made up the grand plan. I never met him, (laughs) Uh, but he must have existed somewhere. The way it happened was we documented our processes. We trained to them. We assessed the outcome of them. And we made continual improvements, much like the 7A model. That's really the foundation of it. As a 20-something-year-old quality control engineer, I had to go, had to, I was told to attend design review meetings on exotic hardware for mission control. And I wound up being the Columbo character because they didn't want to hear from me at all, first of all, because I wasn't a, a, a nuclear engineer. Or a, a, a advanced degree electrical engineer, but I would do one of these. Um, let me just ask one more question: uh, What about if this happens? And it became uh, it became the nucleus of who I am, and that is observe, observe all the time, act, make sure that whatever the process is that you're involved with is functioning to its best that it can be. And then in the Apollo 13 disaster, it just the whole thing just came together because I was sitting there in my office that night, the first night, smoking my pipe, listening to the communications chatter, working on the, the, my log book for the evening, and all of a sudden, Houston, we have a problem. That building turned into a machine in minutes. We had math models in the hallway uh, figuring out trajectories with their slide rules. We had various different groups together working on each of the problems, and that continued through the entire incident, including the fact that they needed a CO2 filter that they didn't have. At the end of that experience, it all boils down to we had a plan, we acted on it, and failure was not an option.
1: Now I understand part of the, how you adopt an Apollo business model is there has to be a vision and a place you're trying to get to, right? Whether that's solving a problem or growing your business, there has to be a target in this particular case, and then working backwards from there to go, how do we get there? How do we solve issues? How do we prevent issues because we ask good questions to begin with? Right? right,
2: exactly. Yeah. And, the,
1: and the whole team is working together.
2: It, it's just amazing when that happens. And, and the Ron Howard movie of Apollo 13 is so accurate. It's, it's so genuine on how it all came together. And we solved impossible problems. And they kept happening one day after the next. It wasn't just one problem. I mean, at the last minute, they said, oh, my goodness, the heat shield. I wonder if it got damaged during the explosion. And the astronauts later on said, eh, what, we can't do anything about it, so let's just go into our deorbit burn. And uh so if it, if the heat shield falls off, we'll just look at each other and say, what a ride. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> Absolutely. So but what's interesting is when you think of the timeline, because to put a man on the moon was only about seven years, Correct. right? Yeah. And of course, you know, when the Apollo thirteen accident occurred. I mean you only had hours to Literally. solve massive problems if you wanted to save their lives. And so when we bring that into business today, hopefully we're not trying to save people's lives in that regard is so dramatic. However, we do need to make sure that we have some kind of a business model that supports people and growth and profits, profits. and the planet. Absolutely. I'm going to pick it up with Tom Terramina. I want to talk a little bit more about the Apollo business model. We'll be right back.
0: This is Steve Mastery Marketing Consulting at Giving Trail. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is dedicated and passionate. Thank you, Sherry. Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge income taxes liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International.
3: SunTech Solar Screening is proud to offer innovative products, giving you control over your environment and increasing the comfort and value to any residential or commercial building. Call SunTech Solar Screening 775 352 9396. SunTech Solar Screening 775 352 9396.
0: This is Karen Jensen, founder and president of HRC, the Human Resource Connection. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva.
1: If you have comments about today's show or any questions, please email sherry at sherryhillshow.com. With a unique perspective from having worked with more than 700 companies in his career, Tom Taramina is a frequent speaker to professional organizations on topics ranging from quality management and organizational excellence to standard of care and foreseeable risk. He's been so successful at synthesizing quality control and quality assurance techniques into mainstream business that the American Society for Quality recruited him to be the managing editor for a series of publications entitled Defining Quality Management. He was also a member of NASA's mission control team when they achieved the impossible undertaking of landing men on the moon. Since then, in working with all these organizations, he's very fond of a business model he calls the Apollo business model, and I want to talk about that with Tom right now. So I know there's nine tenants to the Apollo business model. None of them is optional, none is more or less important than the other. They must be assessed and implemented in the proper sequence. <laughs> So under the Apollo business model, I know one of the first tenants of course is vision.
2: That's huge. And once again, of the 700 companies I've worked with and the dozens and dozens of entrepreneurs I've interviewed and and assessed and helped get their businesses off the ground, we never think about what is it we're going to do. What does this business do? What is our vision? Are we here to make the very best widget in the entire world? Are we here to provide the best health care that's possible? It's there's always, always, always when I start working with a company, we do a retreat. We do an executive retreat. Sometimes it's grueling. I was in one for three days. It took us three days to come up with the vision. But until we'd done that, we could not... You could not possibly step, start on step two, three, four, five, six, and seven. So, having a vision, have the owners of the company having a vision that they all agree on and that they, that they all commit to is the first step. The second step is they've got to live it every single day. Never take your eye off the ball. This is what we do. We are not in the cell phone business, we're manufacturing washing machines. So if we want to start a washing machine business, let's talk about that over drinks tonight.
1: All right. Well, and of course, people get this confused, vision and mission.
2: Yes, it's, it's sometimes used inter- interchangeably. Right. Uh, but mission, in, by my definition, is how do we get there? What are the steps we're going to take to accomplish our, our vision? Step one, step two, step three, and then leave room for step 97 Should we should we get to that point. But... The mission is a continu- a living document of how we're going to get to to our vision how we 're going to bring it to fruition mm-hmm.
1: so of course, out of that, and certainly you know the trend in in the world right now is is people are coming back to roots which are our values, and how do we implement these our values into the organization? What do we stand for?
2: Well, values is is the third part, and it's, oh my goodness, it's one of the toughest things we've got going right now because there's so many generations in the workforce. I just learned the term homelanders are the the newest, the, the newest youngsters. My great granddaughter is now a homelander, I guess. But uh, that the value systems have changed so much in the last century from. Everyone taking personal accountability to an entire segment of our population, not taking personal accountability and not knowing what that means, what the values mean. So, again, the third thing we do is establish a set of values. And those are the things I call them the always and nevers. These are the things we always do at our company. We always complete our project on time, we always come in under budget. Whatever they, whatever we establish for ourselves, there's no, right. there's no written. It's, set. it's not your values. Not my, it's, you know, it's
1: what, yes, <laughs>
2: definitely not my values. No, no one can come up to that standard. Ha ha ha! But the va- what is, we establish the values for the company, the always are the things we always do. The thing, the nevers are the things that are terminable offenses immediately. If you know, we never assault another person. We never lie. Whatever they are, whatever you establish as the always and nevers, they're immutable. It doesn't matter if it's the vice president of the company. Um, If he does one of those nevers, Mm -hmm. bye-bye. It just happened recently that someone that worked at one of the local casinos for 24 years violated one of their principles and was let go. And everybody's going, he was here 24 years. How could that possibly be? Well, the, the always and nevers are immutable.
1: Right. But they have to be trained. They have to be uh, understood, and they have to be clearly defined so everyone in the organization is either in agreement, and if they're not, then they're not the right people to hire for the company. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. All right. Next, next in our Apollo business model is leadership.
2: Oh, my goodness. What a word. Leadership. The best way that I've been able to explain it is that you manage processes, but you lead people. Leaders. Some leaders are born, of course, they're born with leadership traits. But if you care, you can learn all of the rest of the traits of leadership. Years ago, Tom Peters used to go to companies and do half-hour sessions with them and find out the the thing he was always looking for was what was it about the leader of that company that made them so unique and and i i still bring out 20 year old tom peters videos where the head of johnsonville foods once upon a time said we're making money we're doing okay but something's just not right and he called his people together and he said i don't i just don't feel right this is not this just isn't going the way i thought it was supposed to and they, they said, oh, you really want to know? And he said, yes. And he said, you do, the, you do the taste testing on all the products. We know what it's supposed to taste like. He said, well, then do it. That's a leader. Right. That's a leader. <laughs> That's not a manager. A manager would say, get out of here. I run this company. So in a very few minutes, that's the difference between a leader and a manager.
1: Mm. All right. We're talking about the Apollo business model and the nine tenants. And so we're at, I don't know what number, but we're talking about process. Now.
2: Again, we mentioned this earlier, but everything we do in this life is, is process. It's We do things in steps. We have a beginning and ending, and they're all measurable. One of my favorite things to do with CEOs uh, is to ask them, To change the order in which they do their morning routine. If they brush their teeth before they shave, all I ask them to do is reverse those two things just for a few days. Not one of them has ever been able to. You can't do it. You can't do it. (laughs) So until you understand that everything you do is a process, every process can be documented, every process can be measured, then you're not going to be as successful as you could be. Because just like you mentioned earlier, with the training of the, of the vision, mission, and values, processes have to be changed. But with the metrics in place, people have to have the the opportunity to fail if they learn something, and if we change the process. In the in an ideal world, the only re- reason an employee would do something incorrectly is that they weren't trained correctly or the process doesn't work right.
1: Right. And and I've experienced this all through the years because you know, I've developed every process for how we start a business all the way through and that's what I would tell people come in and master the process and only once you've mastered the process now you have the ability to come in and go, "Hey, what if we or have we thought about?" But I, people would try and come in and change it in the middle. And, of course, you end up with problems and customer complaints and things falling through the cracks. And you're like, well, how did that happen? I have a process in place.
2: But you also have people that worked for another company. And in the back of their minds, it says, well, we used to do it this way back at the old, at the old place. And surely he didn't mean we have to do that all the time. Uh, Yeah, he did. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. So obviously, you know, when we're talking about processes, of course, one of our our next tenants is boundaries.
2: Ah, boundaries. There's a Texas euphemism that says if you know where the ditches are, you can stay in the middle of the road. So boundaries is a wonderful evolutionary part of the Apollo business model that once you have vision, mission, values, and processes in place... You can establish boundaries. Again, I'll go back to Dell Computer for a moment. In the three years I, I was a consultant at Dell, you knew that everything you did was part of the Dell business model. And you, I was taught the Dell business model, the Dell direct business model, before I even started working with them. And essentially, once you knew which where the ditches were on both sides of the road, you just took off and ran with it because there were metrics in place that that kept you from going off the road into the ditches but creativity was unbelievable because you were allowed to fail if you learned something from it
1: absolutely and and that is important because that that kind of goes back to your values as well we have boundaries for those and certainly boundaries for um, coloring within the the lines and only when, when we're getting into creativity then we say color outside the lines. So metrics, we, you've talked about that a lot and of course that's the measurement but let's hit on the final one which is consistency.
2: Well it all comes down to this boring, this boring thing of doing the same process over and over again the same way every day and doing it exactly the same way And repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. What that leads to is not a boring job. It leads to lack of variability, that it's predictable. We go back to what I I said about workstation to workstation. I don't expect to get a defective part from the person before me. And as long as that's the case, uh, you can achieve 100% outgoing quality.
1: And that is the actual final one is achievement. And that's really what we're trying to achieve. And and obviously, in looking at the Apollo business model, you know, this isn't hard to follow. This isn't like, you know, stuff that I wouldn't understand if I, you know, start a business or I'm in a business. It's really kind of a, a great system to make sure that everybody understands what's supposed to be happening in our organization.
2: Right. And then you have to execute. It's like my personal trainer tells me, I'm the only one in charge of what I put in my mouth. And as long as you can internalize that, I'm losing weight. (laughs) Exactly.
1: We're going to come back. I'm going to finish up. and We're going to talk about the hard side of business and what happens when you don't follow something like the Apollo business model. And that's that nasty term called litigation. This is Sharon Lecter from Paradise Valley, Arizona. You are listening to the Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she helped us get up and running with the Rich Dad Company. Sherry Hill is dedicated to your success.
3: SunTech Solar Screening offers frames and screening with colors to match any house or building. SunTech Solar Screening offers custom-shaped screens for windows and doors of any size. SunTech Solar Screening products are certified to green technology and are EPA certified. Products are built in the USA, ensuring high quality materials and a long lifespan that offers durability and longevity. SunTech Solar Screens offer privacy from the street and a clear view from inside your home. SunTech Solar Screens come with a 10-year warranty. Call SunTech Solar Screening 775 352 9396. SunTech Solar Screening 775 352 9396.
0: Why should you do business with Sage International Incorporated instead of filing a corporation or LLC on your own? Or worse, using one of those $99 plus state fee sites? Well, first, actually get to talk with someone who is going to work directly with you to develop a business strategy that is tailored specifically to the business you want to start. Second, unless you know what questions to ask, how do you know if the entity you choose will actually do everything you think it should, like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes? For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30 minute consultation today. Call 1 800 254 5779. That's 1 800 254 5779 or visit sageintl.com.
2: This is Tom Terramina from Apollo Business Solutions. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she is passionate about your success. High level thinkers think outside the globe, and they listen to The Sherry Hill Show.
1: If you missed any part of today's show and would like to listen to the podcast, please visit sherryhillshow.com. The basis for most product liability and organizational negligence litigation are the result of the products or services of a provider causing property damage, loss of resources, personal harm, or damage to another plaintiff's attorneys cite damage, injury, or death to be the result of an event or series of events that would likely not have occurred if the offending party's goods or services were adequate and appropriate for their stated or implied intent. When the injured party, family, or company engages legal counsel, they graduate from an alleged injured party to a plaintiff, which is the person who brings suit In a court of law. The difference between an injured party and a plaintiff is that the former is just a victim, while the latter seeks to hold someone else accountable for their injuries and or losses. My guest, Tom Terramina, author of the best-selling book Foreseeable Risk, is often requested as an expert witness in products liability litigation cases because of his proprietary approach which he calls forensic business pathology, a method he uses to scientifically prove that the defendant did or did not exhibit an appropriate standard of care in placing a product or service in the stream of commerce. So, Tom, before we jump into the ugly side of business, lawsuits, let's talk about a more important side of this, which is that all business owners can prevent a lot of these lawsuits from happening if they would just stop ignoring the subtle disasters already in the making.
2: Well, if we go back to the last three segments, Sherry, uh, you and I outlined a a program, a plan, a vision, whatever you want to call it, for helping business owners be the best they can be uh about almost 20 years ago now one of the attorneys here in town called me he said you know i've got a case where a company made this product and now they're being sued for it do you think you can help me and i said what does it pay no i didn't say that (laughs) i said uh yeah let me look at you know let me look at the case notes and sure enough all i did was put on my quality uh management hat my auditor hat and i said well just looking through this documentation the, these poor fools just overlooked the thing that this should have been just so obvious to them but now they it's indefensible because they didn't follow their own processes and through discovery and through uh, i've even been allowed to go to the to the defendants manufacturing facilities and lovely places like Mexico City and and in uh, Shanghai, and determine whether or not that that manufacturer, that service provider, uh, did in fact meet the appropriate standard of care. But as you alluded to, it's so preventable. There is absolutely no reason why the tort lawyers can't go completely out of business. That's the real tort reform.
1: Right, right. Well, as we talk about the Apollo business model and and certainly, you know, being accountable within your own organization, but I'm sure you see this. You know, there's a lot of change in business. A new owner comes in and, you know, they're looking, how can I squeeze another dollar out of the bottom line? Yet, on the front end, might look like we're going to create more profits, but you see the hard side of reality, which is lawsuit,
2: Absolutely. And if those of you who are listening who are CEOs uh, report to a board of directors, uh, this is a very difficult problem for you because you're answering to the quarterly phone call. Everything you're doing during your business day is making sure that that number that you were sworn to last quarter comes about. And you have to spend your energies accomplishing those numbers, whatever they are. So you don't have time to think about the consequences. And here's a big one that has been popularized uh, in the last few years. Well, we can't afford to compete with the Chinese or the Mexicans or the Guatemalans or whatever. So we're just sending our manufacturing abroad. And we've lost control. Once once we've done that, we've lost control. Well, first of all, that's not true. You're accountable for your own actions. Uh, the, The legal system has been set up to where the big box stores have been able to get themselves distanced from these companies with brokers in the middle. And I didn't even know who it came from, so how can I be accountable for the product? So this entire myth of move things offshore and get them made cheaply, make them throwaways. I, I had one case of, with a consumer product where they built in 25% twenty five percent more parts were sent because that's how many were gonna fail. They knew that. They knew that going into it, it was part of their business model, it was part of their bottom line. And that's that's the thinking process. That, as you say, the companies have changed. They've, they're, the, the, the people who report to a board of directors, they've got to find a way to cut costs.
1: Well, that's interesting because I know right now, certainly trending throughout the world is, you know, our stamp made in America again because we stood for quality. We stood for solid products. We stood for, you know, lean manufacturing and all these other principles, and then it got lost over the course of the last 25 years or so. But now there's like a resurgence for people want to see that Made in America stamp, which is a great opportunity for people to say, look, if we're going to put Made in America, we know that, you know, we have this uh, outrageous, litigious society. Um, Maybe we should do things right from the start, like adopting an Apollo business model as a thought process,
2: well, as the kids say o m g uh, what a what a concept and my the last thing on my bucket list at my advanced age, if you will, is bringing that back, okay, so let's go again go back to the last segment of the Apollo business model. If we can communicate to business owners, whether they're independent or report to a board of directors if we can communicate to them that, number one, you can, in fact, build product in America that's cost competitive. Uh, Number two, you can build quality into the product and remove liability, get rid of customer service organizations, get rid of warranty issues, and there's there's the, the, the germ of where this cost savings comes from is you're not throwing stuff away. You don't have people lined up at the customer service counter bringing commodities back to the store. So yes, 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 please. But but the word the word values is, is where we're still getting lost. It's which of which of these folks, who are the people today who are taking that risk and saying, I'm going to drive a stake in the ground, and absolutely I'm going to build it here, I'm going to build it profitably, and I'm going to be the best one in the world.
1: All right. Well, but you see the the tragic side of when people don't care. <laughs> Or they put this, you know, uh, acceptable percentage of defects or returns or whatever, and yet that's a huge cost to organizations. And, And we're not just talking about this has to be, you know, big, giant manufacturing or global companies. This is your little hair salon. This is your fast food restaurant. This is your... Optometrist. This is whoever. Every single one of us has to be thinking this big, as you call it, thinking outside the globe,
2: yes.
1: right? Because you're the rocket man. However, it's it drills down into every single business, regardless of size.
2: I was going into a coffee shop in downtown Reno a couple of winters ago, and the, the sidewalk was covered with with ice. And I walked in and I asked the owner, uh, I said, aren't you going to take care of that sidewalk out there? It's almost broke my neck getting in your store. He said, well, that's the landlord's problem. I said, really? Who do you think is going to sue who's going to get sued if somebody slips on that ice trying to get in and get a cup of coffee? So that's the fundamental thought process that we've got to bring back is it's not somebody else's responsibility. Even if I'm a two-person coffee shop, I could get sued out of business in a heartbeat.
1: And, and that's the, the real result is we're not talking about inexpensive lawsuits.
2: There is no such thing. And it's in, there's no such thing as inexpec- inexpensive in two areas. The first, of course, is hard cash outlay because you have to hire expensive witnesses and experts like me. But the emotional toll, I have never seen a plaintiff the same after a lawsuit. I have never seen the company that was sued the same after a lawsuit. Everything changes. It's just that stigma is there for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you're looking around the corner for the process server.
1: Well, and then I'm sure there's people that are like, well, I have insurance.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Who,
1: the insurance company gets in there and sues you too, because their expectation is duty of care, standard of care, exactly. that you were supposed to do what you were supposed to do.
2: So we're going to we're not going to cover you because you were proven to not. Hey, yeah, it's it's an insane, insane cycle. That again, I do workshops for business owners on. Okay, take a deep breath. Today we're going to look at your business as a liability, whether it's a service company or a manufacturing company. What is it? Matter of fact, we have these something I invented called stupid proofing meetings. We bring people into a conference room. Their titles and their skill sets are all put on on the back burner, and we try to spend an hour thinking of everything that a consumer could do stupidly to use their product, and that becomes in the automotive industry they 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 have tools for that. But the people who build the cars are the ones that are doing the, the failure mode effective analysis. Uh, in this group, uh, I'll get somebody from re- the shipping and receiving department to to get in on this. How can a consumer use your product badly?
1: Yes, because guess what? They will. They will. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for being here. The show went quick. Anyone wants information on how to reach Tom Terramina who's written a lot of books, but two of my favorites, it was Rocket Science and Foreseeable Risk, which is what we're talking about in this segment. I'm going to encourage you to find him at his new website,
2: rockettom.com.
1: And you can always call him or check out the Sherry Hill Show website. His information will be posted up there as well. So thank you so much. You're a wealth of knowledge, and I really appreciate it.